0: So here we are with the warrior poet project podcast and uh a real true honor today to be sitting next to another warrior poet that i found along the way uh dr dan as he is affectionately called is here with me and uh has a really unique story um is an md but uh has traveled the world in ways that that most mds haven't i would certainly say and uh uh, you know i think a good way to start would be to just. you know, have you introduce your story? How you, uh, where you started, and where you traveled, and and how you came to be where you're at now. Cool.
1: Yeah, Aubrey. Also, a deep honor and pleasure to be with you here today, and uh, to have you come down to our place here, where we're Creekside right now at uh, Grace Grove, which is our center right outside of Sedona, and um, just finishing up with a, a retreat where. A half a dozen or so people have come for a really uh, beautiful, intimate, and deep uh, rejuvenative restorative process, and uh, the culmination of my work in the jungles, and my work in the lab, and my work in the classroom, and in the clinic, and in a variety of different aspects is what has kind of led our team uh, to put forth this um, full, what we call a full body rejuvenation And it's really accessing what's happening on the body, mind, spirit, heart, and soul. You know, all levels of... um, Wait wait a minute, you're a doctor. And you just said the (laughs) word soul and body, mind, spirit.
0: What are you talking about here, Dan? There's only the body. There's only the body. What did your medical books teach you?
1: (laughs) Right. Yeah, the medical books... This is just a little glimpse into what the medical books taught me. So in four years of medical school, I got eight years of nutrition. Right? So... Just the idea of using food as medicine is uh-huh. foreign yeah <laughs> much less looking at the energy body eight years, or the you said soul eight body.
0: years of nutrition four years of medical school you got eight eight hours eight hours of nutrition
1: eight hours eight of nutrition hours in the classroom only <laughs> through four whole years <laughs> four years of and med and school
0: I, wasn't it uh was it Hippocrates who said that the stomach is the cauldron of health what happened where do we live <laughs> right. that knowledge? And use food
1: as thy medicine yeah, and yeah. first do no harm <laughs> And all those things, what, that, what, you know, they're just, they're just like, nah,
0: we yeah, don't need that. You
1: know, we tr- we 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 like to think, and most of and most docs out there are well-meaning docs. Um, it's just out of ignorance we that we practice oftentimes really silly styles of medicine. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we as allopaths are really good on the battlefield, yep. and that's where I thought I was originally going to go into medicine. Um, you know i went to college to play soccer and and i didn't really look much after that and it was halfway through college that my advisor asked me what i wanted to do and i was like you know i really don't know i'm just here to play ball and have a good time and he goes well maybe you want to think about it so i found my way into um, Where were, so where'd you go to college first of all in uh austin austin yeah at uh saint
0: edwards right on so yeah. you were playing uh playing soccer on scholarship saint ed's yeah what was what was your day-to-day life? Because this will be a good contrast for what what's going on. You as a college guy. What was oh, that? What man. was that Dan that like was, that before was, you were doctor, Dan? That
1: was funny. Way too little sleep for one. <laughs> I, well, I mean that could be like residency too. Yeah. Way too little sleep. Way too much drinking. That could be like residency <laughs> too. Okay. So what are the differences? Um, well, we we uh, would wake up, you know, six in the morning. Practice till nine. Yeah. And then I'd go to class. Class all day. Then I'd go to work. I had this sweet little gig in the gym where I was making money at the the same time working out then go Sounds back like to the, class the real
0: college athlete program
1: there. you know it's as much like just 5,000 calories of food a day uh-huh. just shoveling in huge amounts of food burning off huge amounts of energy so just like putting it back you know some of the some of the Tour de France guys they they go about nine to ten thousand calories a day so the body can wow. work that efficiently if necessary uh, it's just not the best longevity tool, right. you know, when we're looking at longevity and, and how people live to ripe old ages of centenarians and, and well beyond 100, those classically across the board, the majority of their life, they've been consuming on average about 1500 calories or so mm-hmm. a day or or even a little bit less than that. So. Um, Suffice to say, I'm not eating 5,000 calories anymore. (laughs) Well, it's interesting to, you know, right now there's kind of some awareness coming in.
0: uh, There's a fighter by the name of John Fitch, an MMA fighter, who's just known for the, pretty much the best endurance in MMA. Right up Mm. there with the very best. And his, you know, his nutrition Belief system and diet is a low calorie diet, which most of these fighters are just exactly like you said, putting in as much as they can possibly put in, and football players too. And you know, I, I was just in the Green Bay Packers kind of uh, cafeteria area and, and watching these guys <laughs> go at it. And you know, they put up some simple signs about you know, different nutritional tips. These guys are really just powerhousing food, right? You know, to the massive degree. But to see someone like John Fitch, top level athlete, championship caliber. And he's not ingesting that many calories. And he said it makes him clear, helps his stamina.
1: So, yeah, and, and, and so in that context, he's both an endurance athlete and he's also a high impact athlete. Yeah. So he's really uh, covering the gamut when you when you think about you know how we can stretch our physical capabilities to their limits and be really at the top of our game and, and a high level athlete. You can. Uh, depending on, you know, one's belief systems, what our education tells us, um, be able to do things like MMA and mixed martial arts in a relatively mindful way. Because yep. generally eating less is going to help the body, well, comparatively speaking, to somebody who is, who is to eat a whole lot more. Com- comparatively speaking helps the body recuperate quicker, mm-hmm. faster, more efficiently, helps her body process what they're taking in more efficiently. And in something like MMA, you really want to have your utmost wits about you. Yeah. Totally. Super supreme reflex speeds. Yep. So kudos to him because I imagine he's not necessarily a pariah, you know, but he's certainly on the fringe as yeah, far yeah. as that sport For goes. Sure. For sure. So, I think it,
0: yeah, it's been, uh, you got to make sure that what you're eating is good, though, too. I mean, right. it's not like just saying, oh, I'll get the six piece chicken nugget rather than the nine piece. You right. know, that's still not going to get the job done. Totally because you different. got less calories, so they better do, you know, do the work yeah. nonetheless.
1: Yeah, and there are different dietary styles and dietary approaches, and, you know, oftentimes people want to try and find a, a one size fits all model because that's kind of how our culture likes it. You know, mm-hmm. it's easy, it's simple, it's fast. Just give it to me straight. But everybody's physiology is different. Some people burn through glucose on a cellular level really fast, and some people burn through it slower. So the the, the technical term for that is fast oxidizer or a, or a slow oxidizer, and that's not necessarily metabolic rate.
0: Okay, so that's different than what a bodybuilder would say. Oh, he's metabolic. Oh, he's
1: anabolic. Right. Yeah. So that's on a cellular level. How quickly the the cell uses its sugar. Mm-hmm. And some people, like um, you know, one of my previous partners, she would be great having a bagel out the door in the morning till three in the afternoon. Mm-hmm. That's all she needed. And for me, if I have a bagel, I'm hungry in like an hour. Yeah. Because I'm a fast oxidizer and I just burn through that sugar on a cellular level really fast. Right. So my diet's gonna have to have, if I'm gonna be satisfied, it's gonna have to have a fair bit of protein. And then you get into the whole, like, well, is it meat protein? Is it soy-based protein? Is it plant-based protein? Where does it come from? How is it produced? How is it manufactured? How does your body respond to it? How much protein? And that's where, you know, people's individual physiology really dictates the game. And some of your best high-level athletes are those that can listen to their body Mm -hmm. the best and get direct feedback and know how it's specifically... Uh, efficiently affects their workouts, the routines, the recuperative times, and we can only know that by putting ourselves in the laboratory. Yep. And go through a variety of, and I've I've And, done and all when this. Dan
0: says laboratory, he means the metaphoric laboratory. I mean, treat yourself as a test subject, not actually go go into the laboratory right. just to clarify that out. But but treat yourself like an experiment where you're, you know, receiving feedback from what you put in your body and and totally. what you don't. Yeah.
1: And, and the only way to know that is to try different things on, see how it fits, modify it over time, use what works. I've done all the diets, you know, in, in college when, you know, I was, yeah, eating. And it was it was kind of like we'd have these eating contests. And I was <laughs> yeah, just, I remember and that. Little, yeah, right? So, <laughs> yeah. and like the big kind of football player guys would sit down with like the soccer team and see who could eat the most. And consistently it was the soccer team because we were just <laughs> burning so much. Sure. And and how many so, miles
0: did you just you know to go on a tangent, but how many miles does a soccer player run? I've heard figures like that in an average
1: game. Something av- like ridiculous. Yeah, it's about it, it depends on your position. Right. Um, on average I would say it's between eight and twelve. And that's not like
0: black that's moving, cutting, jostling, pushing. Yeah. So constant, yeah, that's burning incredible sprints. amount of calories. Yeah.
1: And, you know, and and um To this extent that you know, we we were in this model like any like any uh, military combat style team would be. There's a hierarchy. You know, the coaches are like general, and the captains are like your captains, and then you've got like the the freshmen who are like your privates. Yeah, and um, you're only as strong as your weakest link. So I was raised in this, and I grew up playing soccer in different sports and I was kind of raised in this mentality to be like this really strong, yang, really masculine driven warrior with uh, like a a, a don't take crap off of anybody kind (laughs) of mentality. And then over time, I've just recognized that through a few different experiences, I've completely changed my trajectory. Because you can practice sports the, way, the, the same way you could practice medicine. Mm-hmm. You could take a very Yang-oriented approach to medicine, you, like, a, like a get in there, fix it, and get out, which is what a lot of internal medicine docs do or family practice docs do when they only have, because of insurance, coding 10 minutes with each client. Yeah. You're not going to talk a whole lot about nutrition if you only have 10 minutes and you're wondering, how do you manage people on four or five different medications? Yeah. That's where you, you recognize the whole system has to get revamped. And I went into like the idea of going into medicine from college um, as a, to be a surgeon, either, either to be a surgeon or an ER doc. It was the same kind of like in and out, mm-hmm. fix it. Yeah. I, can, I can tell if I've done a good job right then. Yeah,
0: there's a bullet and it's causing and it's damage. Coming this out. is bleeding, the bullet's coming out, the bleeding yeah. is stopping. And
1: yeah. that's where we really shine. And, and then um, two weeks before medical school, I broke my neck. I dove off a pier. And uh hit a sandbar and landed right on the top of my head, and had a compression fracture c five Wow, and it was the it was the single biggest reorienting event in my whole life mm-hmm. and after that um you know i didn't real i actually didn't know it was broken because I could still move my hands and legs, it hurt like oh, hurt like just crazy (laughs) and but i could move everything and so at that time i didn't really know a whole lot about trauma medicine so i figured well if i can move everything it must be okay so i climbed back on the back up on the pier walked back home it was about a half a mile the whole time thinking wow geez my neck really hurts and then um sure enough the people that i was staying with they had more sense than i did at the time and they said don't move and they call it the EMS, and the whole, and, and long story short is, yeah, did the x-rays, broken. Had the opportunity to get surgery or wear one of those big halos. You know, those halos, like those big cages, <laughs> right, you right. see people, like in Fight Club, that guy behind the bar, he's <laughs> uh-huh. got that thing screwed into his skull. And, I, and at that time, I was used to having injuries and wearing different braces, and I thought, well, no knife is a good knife, and I'd rather not anybody get close to my spinal cord with a knife. So I said, I'll take That's the cool. halo. Yeah. So I wore I wore this big cage screwed into my skull. It started Whoa. med school like that for Whoa. two and a half months, and uh, <laughs> needless to say, it's definitely did not uh, enter uh, med school subtly. Right? <laughs> Everybody's yeah. like, "What the
0: heck happened here?" Oh, yeah, you? look at Cage uh, Boy. Yeah, exactly.
1: <laughs> Number of different, uh, yeah, funny kind of. Uh, experiences with old college buddies Yeah. you know when we were I was still in kind of a party mentality at that point so we'd still go to 6th street but it was the <laughs> coolest thing to walk into a bar crowded bar shoulder to shoulder and cage boy walks in and everybody's <laughs> like holy shit you know the record stops and there's a, a, a sea of people part like the red sea all the way up to the bar and you know uh, hey what can I get you geez look at that that's not average <laughs> right so but and that was a whole, that was a complete different reorientation. I realized I was vulnerable, I realized I, I was invincible, you know, uh-huh. I, I, it really took me down from that pedestal and thankfully so. And, and after that, things started you know, opening up in a way that I started asking more questions about life and deeper meaning and um, eventually that led me into psychiatry. And uh, I still had a, a, an affinity for working with kids. So eventually I went to child psychiatry. I did a fellowship in forensic psychiatry and child psychiatry both. But then, you know, and, and even then I was doing my residency in Denver. So I was learning how to rock climb and snowboard and climbing the 14ers. And I was still so kind of outwardly oriented. I wasn't really interested that much in my training mm-hmm. I, I was good at it because you know it just requires some memorization and I'm not asking a whole lot of questions yeah, right you know because it's what a is, standard so what of that? care it's like what? a cookie cutter mentality yeah. they want to train docs just like they train everybody else in our educational system to make widgets yeah and to think as little as possible so they have these standards of care we have these protocols to follow and and i, I understand it from the standpoint that it it can cut down the, the maverick-style approach to pharmacology, where you have people prescribing crazy amounts of medications mm-hmm. with potential side effects, and you don't want to have that happen. So you have to reel people in um, you know, by making ob- what would seem like, at times, obviously... Uh, right rules, like don't have sex with your patients, but you saw people doing that, mm. you know, so right. you, you have these standards of care, and when you're a doc and you practice outside of the standard of care, you can come under the the crosshairs, yeah. and you start to kind of raise eyebrows. If you do that while you're in your training, you get reprimanded or you get booted, Right. and so I was in my training, but I wasn't really asking the question, like, what, do you, what does it really mean to... To get to the deeper layers and levels of imbalances and cures. So after I start, after I finished my training and got out of uh, that, that formal institutional setting and started out on my own, I realized I didn't want to practice the standard of care. And and thankfully I had that wake up call. Kind of like when I did with I, when I broke my neck. Right before med school, I had a big change. Right. And and right before I started my first practice, I had a big change. And that happened when I went to Thailand and didn't, I did my first cleanse. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I didn't know why I was doing this cleanse. And uh, my wife at the time, I was married then, and um, she and I went to Thailand for six weeks and she decided to do like, you know, two weeks of hanging out on the beach and sipping Mai Tais and going to the discotheque and hanging out like you would normally do. Sure, sure. And for some reason, I was inspired to do a two-week colon cleanse <laughs> you know yeah, everybody so, gets their kicks in a different I way I Thailand, like, you know? and she's asking me what are you doing you like. we're here to like you know celebrate and I, said, I don't know i just i have to do this for some reason i'm sure i have to do this i just don't know why yeah. and so that that whole two weeks while i'm just doing enemas and flushing crazy crap out um i read their whole library on natural healing and it, was, and it really opened my eyes like, oh my gosh, there's this whole form of, and this whole approach to medicine, this whole approach to healing that I haven't even learned. Mm-hmm. I haven't even scratched the surface. Like what, it, what does it really mean to bring the body back into balance so that the mind can clear, the heart can open even further, the spirit and the, and the spiritual self can expand. Yeah. And so I got really turned on and they went and started my practice in holistic psychiatry to help people come off of medications and then um, transition onto supplements and different nutraceuticals and cleansing programs. But I'd never learned any of that. I was just kind of trying to teach myself. Yeah. So I decided after a few years of doing that and seeing some success, I really wanted to learn from like one of the experts. So I left my practice, um, took an 80% pay cut, <laughs> got rid of all my stuff my wife at that time and I separated. So I was like, okay, new,
0: big that, new change. That had to put a lot of strain. If you're doing a two week cleanse and your girlfriend wife at the time is doing the Mai Tai beach party circuit, that has to create a certain amount of conflict. Yeah, And that's one issue with, you know, if you're in a relationship and listening and, you know, it's just you on this, on this path and you're going to take a big step. It's, uh, it's challenging. It's challenging mm-hmm. to bring that back home, that different awareness, the different lessons you learn. Um, you know, I've been, I've been fortunate that, uh, you know, I'm, I brought who I'm in a relationship now with me here to Grace Grove so we get to experience it together. But if you are in a relationship, I, I recommend, you know, trying to get your significant other on the same path. It's yeah. just going to be uh, beneficial
1: all around. You've experienced it when it's happened the other way. Yeah, absolutely. You've made, you've made transitions in yourself, in your life, in your own consciousness that weren't reflected in the relationship. No doubt. And then at that point you have the choice to either succumb and release your soul's calling for the sake of the relationship, or you have the opportunity to stay on your path very clear and as strong as you can be, yeah. speaking your truth, and perhaps your partner meets you on that path, and perhaps not. Yeah. You, know, you can only be as committed to yourself, and, and as um, uh, this beautiful poem called uh, The Journey by Mary Oliver, the last line in that poem is it's brilliant, it's really gorgeous epic description of as she says saving the only life that we can save oh yeah right and, yeah, and really beautiful. in a good way listening mm-hmm. right and in, in which is what um was speaking of commonalities and common themes and i know part of your path too which is what some of the medicine in the jungle experiences really no help doubt. us do which no is doubt. listen deeply I remember one of the most profound instances of that. I went to Peru
0: for the first time to drink and sit with with the maestro down there in the jungle. And I had just life-altering openings, wild experiences. And uh, spent three days of that. Obviously, you're following the dieta, you're getting the cleanse of the medicine, you're opening your mind and heart. And I came back and my girlfriend, um, fiance at the time, was spent that week at Electric Forest Festival which is a big (laughs) rave in Michigan which is just you know copious amounts of debauchery uh, going on there so she was coming off directly we arrived at the same time back home and just we looked at each other and it was just like whoa we have really been doing about the extreme opposite and you know we bridged it we bridged it for a while and and made it work because she had an interest in kind of keeping that up but um Certainly, certainly a challenge. So okay. So you're, uh, so you just pick back up in your story. So you're finishing, uh, you're you're taking the holistic uh, mindset, going to study a little bit more with the Yeah, I wanted to,
1: I wanted to find somebody who I could really uh, learn from who had been down the block, you know, for a while and knew about rejuvenative medicine and knew how to bring different modalities together and and really look at it from a holistic perspective. Model, and um, you know synchronistically, uh, I knew. I, I think it was. I think it was the night that my wife and I, at the time, left our mediator's office. You know, because uh, we we settled. We wanted to just settle across the table. You know, eye to eye and heart to heart. And the night that we left, and we kind of solidified everything. I was recognizing it was a big change opportunity for me because I was in Portland, I, I missed the sun, I'd been in Portland for five years, and I was thinking, oh gosh, I need, I need some more sunshine. <laughs> and so, obviously, I'm in a big change. I got on the website of this center that I had been reading about, uh, this guy Gabriel Cousins at the Tree of Life, and um, I'm reading his books on spiritual nutrition and food as medicine, and Um, fasting and cleansing and detoxification, rejuvenation, all this stuff. And I get on their website and the first um, ad I see for an opening, I thought I was going to go like maybe just work in the garden. I was like, maybe I'm just going to take a break from psychiatry. Work in the garden, maybe work (laughs) in the kitchen, just take a different completely approach. And first ad I see is holistic psychiatrist opening. So I was like, right. And the next day their whole website was different. So it was like that right as the subway doors are closing I jump on went down there met with him was a great fit ended up working there as the medical director for two years learning from gabriel about like the philosophy of fasting and cleansing and detoxing and went through a raw vegan diet went pretty much raw vegan overnight which was super helpful for my spirit super helpful for my mind Mm -hmm. and not so helpful for my body Mm -hmm. you know because it has a taxing effect especially if you if you're trying as, particularly as a fast oxidizer, if you need a fairly high degree of protein and you're trying to supplement with protein sources that don't work, like yeah. uh, you know nut and seed-based protein sources or um, chlorella and spirulina, which is a big staple in the raw foodie uh, diet, um, or even soy, which is just completely laced and GMO'd and are genetically modified and not so great and it's very hormonally disruptive to men mm-hmm. so a lot of estrogen and salt. lots of lots of estrogen totally so you know i'm not getting the nutrition my hormones just start to flatline and i'm watching my body just go through this process yeah. of like weakening before my eyes yeah and the, every time i check in like is this what i'm supposed to do is this my soul's level calling which is a which is a really helpful question to ask when you're really neutral. Uh Like if I have attachment to the outcome, I'm going to shape the answer. If I'm attached to my body and it's not, you know, it's okay to be attached to our bodies because we're in a physical vessel and our bodies are attached to us (laughs) and it feels good to be on our game and to look good and to feel good and have that vibrancy. And I was just watching my body just kind of, kind of leaking almost overnight. And every time I checked in over those, over those couple of years, it was like, yes, this is just where I'm supposed to be. Because I had been so driven, so yang, so like the little general, hard on myself. I was the best at everything, and second place sucked. And I and I would curse anybody else for making <laughs> second place. Right. And I was just really hard on everybody, ch- chiefly me. And what it did, because I was so yang, I was so in that masculine, that couple of years... Really soften me into my patience and my kindness and my more feminine side and my listening and my ability to just have faith and not be so driven. And it was a really challenging time and it was one of the um, times that taught me the most about the ability to listen above my ego mm-hmm. for what's in my highest good. Mm-hmm. And that took and I'm that's still that's, a practice. That's really hard. You know, I know it, <laughs> For me, even in a, you
0: know, it's it's hard to separate your kind of body identity and your sense of fitness and vibrance with your sense of confidence and self-worth. I know for me, when I've been in periods where, you know, I've just kind of had other priorities and really kind of let my body go down, I've noticed I have to fight against at least a palpable lack of kind of just
1: self-confidence as a man yeah man you know? the bravado yeah we're kind of it's 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 a part of the testosterone why genetic makeup i mean mm-hmm. it's ingrained in us mm-hmm. we're not that far from a warrior culture yeah you know our ancestors were driven and you know before all the modern day luxuries we had to go out and in, in the the woods and find our food and forage and and, and the the masculine role and the feminine roles were typically more delineated because of just if nothing else because of a physical prowess yeah a physical level of ability and a nurturing side that, that women have that that's more of a feminine based characteristic mm-hmm. so those roles were a little bit more easily defined where whereas now you've you know you got metrosexual men <laughs> and you got guys that that really feel good getting all dolled up and they you know, like uh, in Thailand, it was the first time I was really exposed to a culture that celebrated, quote, the lady boys. Yeah. You know, and, and they're very beautiful, man. These guys are rock solid. I mean, they would kick my ass <laughs> in a heartbeat. I mean, these guys are like Thai boxers yeah, walking yeah. around in thong speedos, you know, <laughs> and high heels and proud of it. You know, and it's like in that degree of confidence and that degree of like self-expression and freedom, I just really started to admire. and And it was part of this kind of, You know softening of my ego and and that opportunity for me to try and find confidence outside of Mm -hmm. the the machismo that i had grown up in I'm, i'm from south central texas where you know marlboro men were the kind of the 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 epitome of your like masculine evolution right the hard loner with a cigarette i mean i i i did it all man i I grew up wearing cowboy boots, cowboy hats, and chewing tobacco. And
0: that's a, you know, and that's an aspect too that shouldn't be tossed aside and neglected. You know, that real, you know, you you had your background in that. So for you personally to learn lessons on a deeper level, you needed to experience the other. Mm. Um, but you know, a lot of people who. You know, don't let him saying that if you've never experienced really what your body is like at peak condition Mm. and peak performance. And you're a man and you haven't ever really felt what your body as a warrior and as a hunter's potential could be. That's something you need to experience, too. Totally. You know, I mean, that's that's part of it. It is about the balance, you know. So for you, it was the balance was. Letting that go for a little while. Yeah. you know, For someone else who's been letting it go for a long time, <laughs> it's time to it go could the other be way. go the other way. Yeah. Really, you know, put in your time. Put in the
1: grind. Yeah. See what that body, you know, that gift you have is made of. Yeah. See how you can turn your body into a Ferrari. Yeah. You know, if it's been kind of an old clunker truck for a while. <laughs> yeah. You know, because we have this unlimited potential for rejuvenation. We re- Our bodies are meant to be self-healing machines. And we live in an environment now that, globally, is getting—well, I shouldn't say globally. At least from a Western, in industrialized culture, is getting more sedentary. Mm-hmm. We traditionally—we were talking about grounding the other day. We'll talk about more yeah, yeah. that. So, for example, most people sit down, you know, at, at their desk. They sit down when they drive. They sit down when they watch TV. Um, that by itself is one of the main reasons that the, the incidence of prostate cancer is so high and uterine and ovarian cancer is so high because the pelvic girdle is stagnant, sitting down mm-hmm. for 18 hours a day. Mm-hmm. We're not built to do that. We're not meant to do that. Right. And so we have these somewhat sedentary lifestyles and, we, and there's more is toxicity. That, is that lymphatic? Is
0: that a lymphatic a huge issue? huge lymphatic. Just because you're sitting and it's just all yep. the fluids are kind of collecting it's, it's, and not flushing out? Bo- it's
1: lymphatic in... Which is extraordinarily accurate. One of the reasons is that most of the lymph tissue is um, in the gut. Uh-huh. Gut-associated lymphoid tissue. And when the lymphatic system gets really congested, it fills up with toxins. And it can't move. And the lymphatic system is, is like a pump that you move through your own body kinesthetics. Your own body movement pumps that machine of the lymph system it doesn't have its own pump like the cardiovascular system does so if you're not moving it's not pumping so it's getting more and more congested and when you add on top of that the crappy diets that people eat and the congestion in the colon and constipation people just aren't draining the lymphatic system in the pelvic girdle Mm -hmm. right so i mean you could take the same kind of diet but without as much of the problem if you're in a, if you're in a, a culture that moves a lot and walks a lot like some of the cultures in Europe lots of walking some of the cultures in Central and South America lots of dancing mm-hmm. right I mean yeah, they got yeah, their yeah, yeah. juices going the hit I, I grew up with I grew up dating you know Hispanic girls in San Antonio and and I, we would go to these, you know, like weddings and their grandmas would drive me into the ground <laughs> dancing. And this is while I'm playing soccer, right? Yeah, yeah, but yeah. They got their hips going and like the, the samba and the marimba <laughs> and they're, they're just like, they've got that juice, yeah, right? And, they, yeah. and so they don't see as much of some kind of diseases that would be the result of a sedentary lifestyle. So it's about diet and lifestyle and, and, and that amount of ability to turn our environment into a healing environment, get rid of the toxins, do some flushes, part of what you're doing, mm-hmm. have the experience of your body becoming rejuvenative in front of your eyes, and then reorient to that, shifting into that fifth gear in and, and a model that helps you sustain that. Put yourself around people who are doing the same kind of activities. If you wanna know what you're thinking, traditionally look at what the people around you are thinking if you want to generally be able to reflect on what's happening in your life look at your five most closest friends yeah you know because you're like the company you keep so if like you were talking about before and it's happened for me if i start making significant changes in my consciousness in in my attitude towards life in a particular orientation that now draws a chasm between my primary partner or my circle of friends, then I've got the opportunity to stay on my path or leave my path and hang out with them some more. Yep. And I've, you know, my friends um you know, they look at kind of like what I'm doing now, it, like it's crazy, <laughs> you know, like they, there's not well, a they lot knew, of...
0: Yeah, they knew the old you. you yeah, exactly. Yeah, And and, they're... They're, and if you hang out with them too long after you make big changes, it's almost like their eyes, just even the way they look at you, even if they're being cool, but the way they know you and look at you, unless they can kind of look at that with a, you know, kind of wash free the lens of perception... It can start to you'll start to feel that and you'll start to almost conform just because it feels better. There's less conflict for you to kind of fit Mm -hmm. into the to the lenses that they're wearing that they want to see you in. Yeah. So it's it's certainly a risk. But to get to so so people still don't even know where you're at. You still have more of your own journey (laughs) to get to. So, yeah. So I'm not going to let you stop your story here. So. Mm. All right. So you go study here. And then and then what at what point did you decide? All right. I got to get to the jungle.
1: Yeah, so I was down at the tree, and it's um, this clinic in the middle of the desert. It's an hour and a half from any major city. And it's kind of nice because it's really, uh, it's a very clear grid. It's a very clear, energetic, and psychic grid. So when people go, it's, it just really invites you to just release. Release all your shit. There's not mm-hmm. a whole lot of distraction, so you're kind of meeting yourself a lot. And um, I had already experienced some work with the plant medicines of the amazon mm-hmm. just before going to the tree down this is in patagonia arizona um, when i was in portland i had my first ayahuasca experience nice and it was a game changer yeah and i thought whoa okay <laughs> wow now
0: was that your first psychedelic experience
1: at all or I just had, your first um, dmt experience? it was my first dmt experience yeah i had smoked hot A fair bit. (laughs) Thankfully, had left that because that was just not working for me anymore. Yeah. Um, But like any medicine, it's medicine until you use it and you abuse it, and then it becomes poison. Right. And so I had had let go of that, which was awesome. And um, I had done mushrooms a couple of times, and I had some pretty um, powerful experiences, but nothing like...
0: Nothing like the first ayahuasca. Man.
1: I mean, I had... I, I, I just... I received so much back, you know, so much of myself that had been split off, Mm -hmm. received so much back, so much clarity, so much inspiration to take this now, move down to Patagonia and a complete new reorientation to my life. So I had this in the back of my mind.
0: So the ayahuasca session itself was a catalyst for you to go to the tree then? It was. To a certain extent. Yeah. Yeah. It's
1: like, bam, big change required right now. Sure. And um, so I was down to the tree for a couple of years. And then um, over time, I recognized, okay, yeah, my mind is settling. Um, I'm coming back into balance, right? Because that now the pendulum has swung way over into the yin, into the feminine, into the yep. just patience and the stillness. Which and you'd is, been on that vegan diet. And is, I'd been on that raw vegan diet, which yeah. is my hormones were still flatlined <laughs> after a couple of years. Yep. I mean, there was just, just wasn't like a whole lot of juice. Mm-hmm. There wasn't a whole lot of even interest. My libido was low. My testosterone, I know, was in the toilet. Yeah. Um, and I still knew there it was, it was the right thing to do until a couple of years after being at the tree, I started getting slowly more of the call to go be in the jungles. Yep. And um, so I reconnected with somebody that I had sat with before and I uh, went into ceremony and got con- really strong confirmation um, that, okay, I had learned, because my, progr- my, my, my process was like, okay, I'd learned allopathic medicine. I had learned some of holistic medicine and rejuvenative medicine. I really want to learn now the spirituality of medicine. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I want to experience medicine from a completely different lens, yeah. completely different cosmology. And I really am so deeply curious about the energetic components of plant shamanism and how the shamans from these traditional cultures can read the energetic field of someone from you know several feet away and know where the holes are and know what plants to prescribe and we're not talking about ayahuasca because in the dieta setting and you know being down there the ayahuasca in that dieta setting she just opens the door for you to actually get the healing and the teaching from the uh master teacher plants right yeah and so the, the jungle shaman walk around with this pharmacopoeia in their mind because they've experienced all these different medicines and know exactly what medicines to bring in to strengthen someone's power center, to help them harmonize their heart, to help them release old trauma, to help them restructure their neurochemistry. There's certain plants that do different aspects of this work. And it was fascinating to me that somebody could develop the skill to be able to read another's field from several feet away and know what plant introduced right. to them and, and really let the plant do the work. Yeah, You know, the, the the shaman's just the facilitator. He's like, like we were talking about before, he offers the buffet and he makes a recommendation, you know, take this medicine and let her teach you, let her or him teach you this plant spirit. And so I left everything. Um, from the tree, got rid of all my stuff, sold it or gave it away, got down to a backpack, and had a few thousand dollars in my bank account at that time. I was still kind of paying off the student loans. And um, but I was like, okay, I got a little bit of savings. I'm gonna go down for anywhere from a few months to a few years. I don't know when I'm gonna come back. And I'm gonna an apprentice. I'm gonna find somebody to study with. Yeah. And, um, and boy howdy, that, those, first, <laughs> those first 60 days, I did 35, 40 ceremonies in about 60 days. Wow. And just got my, I just got dismantled. You know, my whole ego just got
0: dismantled. You know, I, I go down for five days and drink three times. And that's rejuvenating, but exhausting, psychically, you know, exhausting. I mean, you're going through some really powerful stuff, physically and mentally. So to think about doing 40 days out of 60, it's like when I look at those seal training videos I'm like, <laughs> and you're swimming again with a log on you what are you, are you crazy you just finished swimming all day yeah you know? so
1: uh yeah that's intense so all right so talk a little bit more about that yeah it was um you know <laughs> my style is kind of like to jump in and see what happens <laughs> right and go for it so I went for it and um And I don't really recommend that. (laughs) Because it is at least not that intense, you know, because it's very dismantling and it's very disorienting. And as Gabriel, um, you know, told me when I was at the tree and I didn't really appreciate what he was trying to tell me at that time. But one of his favorite sayings is, if you haven't built the container, If you haven't cultivated the vessel, then you, you can't hold the magic. Mm -hmm. And, and it was, there was so much energy coming through those ceremonies. Uh, I essentially got manic. I didn't need to sleep. I had all these great ideas. I could (laughs) run for days and eventually my circuits blew. Yeah. Yeah. And I had to uh, get out of there. And so I traveled for a little while and looked for some stillness in the jungle. And it was really difficult for me to do because um, I was just so psychically raw, energetically raw. I couldn't really be around other people. And 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 there was just so much to integrate. I really wanted to just get still and quiet and they and say, listen. they say you know, the shamans
0: all say, it takes up to, what, six months to fully integrate? One ceremony. One ceremony. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, so to do 40, I mean, it's just a massive amount yeah. of information crashing against your perception, you know, infiltrating your spirit and
1: images and sounds and feelings and thoughts. Um, yeah. You're just bombarded. Yeah, You know, it, your energetic system just gets completely bombarded. You know, it's like... Jeez, what would it be like? Um, it's kind of like when your hand falls asleep and you got those tingles. Yeah. Right? You're, all of a sudden, the, the blood flow that comes in that wakens those nerve endings is really intense. Well, imagine that being like the whole experience you have throughout your psyche, being that alive but also that intense. Mm-hmm. And needing and, and any degree of intensity when they're when you're around other people, it magnifies that yeah. because you can pick up on their energy now.
0: Like taking too much beta alanine and then <laughs> to
1: and being like, to run Whoa, what just happened? <laughs> yeah, Somebody turn body. down the volume, please. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Do you know? Yeah. And so I came back to the States and um and got quiet for a, a few months. Actually I, I got my immune system got completely wonky um because i wasn't sleeping so much and that's when we really rejuvenate is during our sleep yeah. time so i got uh, bilateral cellulitis on both legs almost to that like like flesh eating kind of bacteria mm-hmm. cellulitis and um and it was nasty so i came back with my legs just in these pus filled bandages and it was epic and i was trying to figure out how to because i was still holistically oriented at that time and and that and at that time i was maybe a bit too much right because i was like i'm not using antibiotics Uh, i'm gonna figure out how to cure this it took me three months to cure that um Whereas maybe after, a, a, you know, a week of cephalosporin or, you know, maybe an antibiotic would have cured it. Yeah, sure. But and I was so stubborn You could have, have spent, could have spent one
0: more week to restore the probiotics. And, and, and be and done, done after two weeks. Whereas, done, no, yeah. it took me three months. So after my legs we got you kinda back. You kind of got to overcorrect. Sometimes, I don't know, you don't have to, but in the, usually for most people, you got to overcorrect a little bit. You,
1: you know? know, for me, that's, that's kind of like my motto in college and med school was nothing in moderation. <laughs> nothing in moderation nothing in moderation yeah. like everything was to the extreme i studied intense i played intense you know i loved intense i was pissed off intense it was whatever it was it was intense uh-huh. and it's not the best path to longevity <laughs> right <laughs> you right. know so now things are much more moderated and thankfully so but at that time since i had gone so far into allopathic medicine and now i was so turned on to holistic medicine i was bastardizing allopathic medicine yeah i was saying no i mean Unless something gets cut off, I'm not going in. Unless, yeah. unless I get full-blown, you know, sepsis yeah. throughout my whole body, I'm not going in. And everybody right. was looking at my legs, going, "Dude, you got to go get that done, checked out, like now." And I was like, "No, I don't have sepsis yet." <laughs> <laughs> so I'm doing- listen. I'm a doctor. <laughs> don't forget. And but, by the way, the best the best thing to use was colloidal silver. Really? Really good colloidal silver. It's one of the few things, topically topically. and internally, Mm -hmm. it's one of the few things that will stop MRSA, methicillin-resistant Staph aureus, that flesh-eating bacteria, will stop it in its tracks. Very cool. Yeah, better than antibiotics will.
0: Very cool. Is there any... I heard a... I think it's just maybe a a myth, but it may be true, that the the saying about a silver spoon, born, born with a silver spoon in your mouth, had something to do with the people... And when the plague was going around, the people who had silver spoons weren't getting sick. Interesting. No, I've so never heard that. the myth is that. that they were getting, you know, they were getting some elemental silver Total. from their silverware. that silver makes work, so
1: much sense. And they weren't
0: getting sick. So it was like, oh, well, fucking, they got the silver spoons. In right. The of, Lucky so, them. Yeah. So
1: right. Who That's that, cool. Well, that you could know, be a myth, but
0: there could be some. Similarly, some I've heard that the,
1: the the settlers that came out west, the first people, the first foreign people. Uh, on these lands in the united states the settlers would travel with these big barrels of water because they didn't know when they were going to be able to find fresh water so they would carry their water until the next source and in order to keep it clean from um you know because they didn't know some of these sources were contaminated with like gr here yeah um they would put silver dollars no shit at the bottom of the water barrels yeah, I'm to sure. clean that up because it does release that elemental silver. Yeah, yeah, powerful stuff. So silver saved the day. Three months <laughs> later, and then I went back to the jungles again because I, because I, when I blew my circuits, I didn't finish my dieta. Yeah, at least that that the the last dieta I started there. I was I've done a few different dietas, and the diet that i couldn't finish it i just i I, what what a testament to your perseverance or stubbornness or something
0: (laughs) if you go for 40 days get your circuits blown come back with your legs about to fall off and you're like i'm not finished (laughs) there yet. most people be like fuck that place i'm fucking out yeah but you had more work to do so i had more
1: work to do and it was really good that i went back because i went back in a different I didn't go back as like a greedy American, like, ooh, mm-hmm. I want more of this experience, give me more, I want to study with you, teach me. Yeah. You know, the first person I went to study with, in the middle of ceremony, I go up in my broken English, <laughs> I mean, sorry, my broken Spanish, and I tried to tell him in Spanish, you're my teacher. You know, tu es mi maestro, <laughs> you know, said, por I'm favor. <laughs> yeah, right, and I'm like, I don't even know what I'm saying. And he, and he, he could tell what, the funny thing is, is he could kind of tell, well, I'm sure he could tell what I meant because the next few days, he ignored me. And, and one of my, and, and, and one of my um, friends, who was much more experienced with ayahuasca, and I was actually studying with him at the time. He said, if you're really serious about studying, um, Guillermo's gonna ignore you, because he wants to see what you do. He yeah. wants to see how committed you are. Yeah. And, um, and what I realized was that I was demanding, just like any other Westerner going down to the jungles, demanding something. First it was demanding uh, rubber, mm-hmm. right? When if you a book called One River is a really powerful account of how we as Westerners have decimated the jungles yeah. and, the, and the native peoples by demanding through our greed, rubber and oil. And it's still happening. And I was just doing that same thing. I was demanding an experience. I was demanding medicine. I mean, I wasn't an asshole. I didn't have a right. gun or a machete, but I was essentially doing the same kind of thing. And so the second time I went down, I, I went down from a much different humble place. Yeah. I really got humbled and that was really good for me. Mm-hmm. And now I just have so much more reverence for the people and, and their, their traditions and the way they, they, they make relationships with living things before asking anything of it or from it more out of gratitude you know like the native peoples here you know my first really my first entry into spirituality was through tibetan buddhism and then through lakota native american spirituality and through the sweat lodge community mm-hmm. and um and the native peoples are similar you know Aho mitakuyeo yasen. Mitakuyeo yasen is to all my relations And and thank you that I recognize my place in the tapestry of life. Sure. And before I take anything, if it's a grandfather to put a grandfather in the pit and to take a grandfather from the pit into the lodge. That means, for people who don't know what that means, in the sweat lodge to
0: Moscow ceremony, grandfather is a stone that you put inside uh, the sweat lodge, which is like a a navel in the earth. Mm -hmm. And you bring the grandfather rocks into the navel to, to heat it up and you splash water for steam herbs, and it's a really incredibly powerful experience. I actually have a blog about uh, Moscow I did up on the site, so so check that out if you want a few more details on it. But the grandfather is these molten hot stones
1: that you're bringing in. Mm-hmm. And before we do anything, especially in ceremony, we ask, uh, we ask, we just ask, you know, thank you, in a good way, may I receive this medicine. Mm-hmm. Thank you, in a good way, yes, we receive this heat into our lodge, we receive this mini wachuni, this this uh, sacred water, uh, you know, to, to provide the purification and the steam, and 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 we pray in the four directions, and we recognize there are spirit helpers in each of the directions, and um, and I've had powerful experiences um, bridging both the Lakota tradition and and some work with ayahuasca and, and receiving support from spirit helpers, and and that's that's not surprising because
0: at the root of all this you're accessing truth and source you know and when you're doing that whatever your you know translation whatever your ceremony whatever your kind of ritual is if it's grounded in that you're going to find value in all of it Uh you know it's just when it gets off course and it gets really manipulated by power and ego that some of the ceremonies are like, what the fuck is that? You know, Let's get rid of that, right. we can discard that one. Right. You know, but when you're really trying to access and successfully access it. Well, that's a good pro- it's a good
1: point you're bringing up and it's probably the, the most important point, personally, um, I can bring up in regards to ayahuasca is really be mindful of who's pouring the medicine. Absolutely. Because their consciousness goes into the brew. And the the Andean, I mean, so the Amazonian jungle shamanic path is not a spiritual path. It's a power path. And traditionally speaking. Mm-hmm. And that's why you have, you know, historically shamans throwing black magic at each other and darts at each other sure. and do... Um, take advantage of situations when particularly Westerners are going down wide-eyed and thick-walleted and wanting a particular experience, um, it's really important to know the integrity field. Sure. Not only from, you know,
0: the intention they put in the brew, but sometimes they'll throw detura in the brew. Right. And that was, I was actually just talking to Mitch Schultz who did the documentary DMT, The Spirit Molecule. He's got a lot of connections down there. And he actually knew the shaman that was involved in that kid's uh, unfortunate kid's death recently, wow. and uh, you know didn't have the the best things to say about this shaman's um, mm-hmm. you know kind of moral attitude, which obviously went to show that the shaman was trying to bury the kid instead of saying, "Hey, accidentally, wow. this kid died." He was just burying him on the property. So obviously, there's <laughs> that's a warning sign there.
1: <laughs> that's say. not a subtle. So, yeah, it's
0: not. A, so, <laughs> but yeah, but detour was you know one of the things, one of the mm-hmm. possibilities of mixing it, which is
1: a poison, just. Well, up. interestingly enough, Datura grows more than any, at least that I'm familiar with right now, uh, grows more actively than any other antheogenic medicine on this property and in this area. And when you come in the spring and summertime, Datura is everywhere. Yeah. You see these huge, big, white trumpet flowers. And it's powerful medicine when you know how to use it. Yeah. And, and there are different ways to cultivate that, and I don't recommend at all people start to experiment with how to yeah. how to brew that medicine, because it does take a lot of wisdom. And so, but just like with anything else, um, when we use it in a mindful way, be, nature provides yeah. medicine, powerful medicine, and when we overuse it or misuse it, it becomes poison. Well and the, the ayahuasca is just like many of the other antigens, like iboga, um, well, I can't imagine mixing an
0: MAOI with the Datura is a good idea.
1: I don't. Um, I've never. Who, know, who really heard. knows? But. Well, in in the jungles, uh, they call the Datura toy, and um, and I have seen it used um, only in depictions in pictures. Yeah. I've seen Datura with ayahuasca, used in a brew. Interesting. Um, and and I don't think it's terribly uncommon, but I think you just have to really it's know what to be you're careful. doing. Yeah. Super careful. And um, so these antheogens, whether they're African antheogens in the Iboga sure. or the Amazonian uh, antheogens um, or the Andean anthe, like Wachuma, mm-hmm. very different um, and very powerful medicine, they're becoming more and more available to help us wake up.
0: Yeah. And... And showing scientifically reproducible benefits, like we casually mentioned
1: that Johns Hopkins study with psilocybin. Powerful study, yeah. beautifully done, very well researched. Um, do a Google search for Johns Hopkins psilocybin um, uh, study, I think it was maybe 2009 or, or 2010, and um, talks about the before and after effects of people who had never had psilocybin before, although were classified as practicing some degree of spirituality. And um, over two-thirds said it was in the top five most spiritually illuminating experiences of their whole lives. And that effect lasted for six months. Uh, and that was a zo- that was only as far as the study went. They were gonna do a one-year follow-up, yep. but I didn't and see And a that. couple
0: of them said it was the most significant.
1: A third George of them oh. said it was the most significant. <laughs>
0: yeah. A
1: third of all the people. So I mean, it's just it's. it's a so what
0: are your what are your what do your colleagues say? You know, your old your old med school colleagues that are still stuck in that young. Oh, what are you doing with those mushrooms? Drugs? Well, you know, it's, poison?
1: It's so funny. Um, so I, in med school and in residency, I was, I was already kind of like um, there's a book called The House of God, which was a depiction of a residency, uh, internship written in like the late 70s and it was this kind of uh depiction of this debauchery that would go on in turn year and it's kind of true so there was you know there were people in my residency taken you know just these crazy trips on things like ketamine and yeah, sure. opioids. Like John yeah.
0: Lilly, that's a he's a famous one for doing the ketamine in the isolation stuff. tank.
1: I, I would much rather do an antheogen that yeah. comes from nature than some synthetic
0: yeah, I, that yeah.
1: is going to be completely. Yeah, so that's a good. It's a it's a good representation for me at least to to talk about altered states of consciousness. You can have those experiences that are disintegrating. Right they they split parts of our psyche, like LSD classically can do that, mm-hmm. or you can have other states of consciousness that typically are more integrating mm-hmm. and they bring back split parts of ourselves and they align us in our psychic matrix more coherently and those are things like psilocybin like ayahuasca like Iboga mm-hmm. um, marijuana can do that when held really reverently mm-hmm. but when used and abused it becomes the opposite i've I've known examples of that as well and it
0: depends on the person's constitution too for sure you know how well they handle it someone like you know joe rogan he handles it superbly, you know, and it is a great medicine. It's the, as Bob Marley said, it's the mirror that you hold up for yourself, mm. you know. And for him, it is. He can, he can, you know, take a bunch of marijuana in a variety of ways, eat it, smoke it, whatever, um, and go in his isolation tank and really access truth in a true mirror. And then, you know, I have other, I have other people I know who smoke so much that you almost get this, just this fantastical representation of reality and you're rolling it that's just not grounded anymore mm. it's like this is all gonna happen to me man <laughs> like it's all coming together man <laughs> right. like well what are you doing uh-huh. <laughs> show do you me think? the evidence <laughs> yeah because <yeah>. <laughs> you've been saying that for a long time but i ain't seen shit you know uh-huh. like you got to get up and do it sorry right. you know like that's so it, yeah certainly it can become yeah. medicine or uh or a hindrance yeah.
1: Yeah, and so it's the same kind of thing we were talking about, food. Mm-hmm. Um, it depends on your relationship with it, what works for you. Same, same thing with workouts and with exercise. depends on the, the style of workout that works for you, your type of training, how it matches your constitution, and what are your desired outcomes. So when we, like Krishnamurti talks about, become our own primary authority in our own life, and we put ourselves in the laboratory, so to speak, and we really choose to... Um, receive as much information as we can try it on for size and then put our own expert lens as our own filter of analysis make does it make sense for me or not and whose expectations am I living up to and if it does work for me how do I choose to use it in a good way Mm -hmm. and so we're coming back to like the idea of uh, the power path in the jungles you know when you mirror the power path with the spiritual path is doing exactly what you're talking about. That's when you really become a warrior poet. Yeah. Cuz you have the the power and the strength and the stamina and the endurance and the and the fire and the juice to bring it forth, and you're also really guided by principle and virtue and altruism and those and those characteristics that really inspire us to be better people and and to be able to create a better world around us versus you know, just seeing what can I get out of it for me. Absolutely. That's it. So I I totally salute what you're doing, man. Thanks, brother. I I totally
0: salute you for embodying it, you know, and really being able to, to talk to someone like yourself who really, you know, gets it on that level. It's been a, it's been a real treat. Mm. So I think it's a good point here to segue kind of into a little bit of what I've been doing. And then you can kind of talk about, Uh, you know, a little bit more from the expert level of what's been going on. But basically, I I came here to Grace Grove for, um, you know, I had some nagging health issues. And after 31 years, you know, I lived a lot of them pretty hard. You know, did, you know, plenty of drinking and uh, still, you know, will occasionally... Tie one on and go pretty hard i mean uh, if you see any pictures from my halloween experience you know you know that you know dressed up as a thundercat until eight in the morning i was doing bad things to my body you know? so to come here to do a liver and gallbladder cleanse i think was you know really the primary objectives and i'd heard some things about some of the other spiritual paths but i was like well you know i'm going to get a cleanse and anything else is just the gravy um turned out At the end of it, the cleanse might have been the gravy and the other stuff was the real meat of what I got out of here. So basically, it comes you get a you get a nice, uh, nice meal of some really deliciously cooked uh, stew and uh, some salad, and then you start on a uh, a cleansing protocol, which By is six days. Six days, yeah. six day cleansing protocol. You start with a smoothie in the morning, which is you know some kind of vegetable fruit. Um, is there any kind of protein source
1: in that or? I think there's uh, sometimes there's a fair bit of hemp seed or maybe a little bit of a nut butter. Uh-huh. Um, Maybe some chlorella or some spirulina just to give you a little bit of protein because it's, it's nice to have some um, calories going in to push the detox yeah. in, a, in a good way. Um, the times when I've led fasting retreats, and I fasted myself, um, oftentimes I see people go through a little bit harder time because they just don't have as so much calories to push their detox, to, to, to drive their detox pathways enough to push those toxins out. Right. Yeah.
0: And so when we were taking um, kind of like a detox
1: formula and yeah. a dropper of a some kind of- Yeah, acidic. so, so the, mm-hmm. the diet, just to summarize that. Yeah. So it's uh, smoothies in the morning, juices in the afternoon, uh, soups at night, mm-hmm. all blended all liquid, so it's still liquid diet, it's still um, gentle on your digestive system, and gives it a bit of a break, but it gives you enough nutrients to support the cleanse. And the supplements you take are generally things to support the the liver and the gallbladder, the liver to run its 600 plus detox reactions and all the things it does for the body, and the gallbladder to prep it to purge the gallstones. And you take um, a formula to open, to slowly open up the bile duct and to soften the stones and the gall sludge within the Mm gallbladder. And you take that over that five-day period. You also take some enzymes that help um, flush out some of that, like, undigested mucoid layer that, you know, just about everybody has because of the way we eat. Unless you're eating... You know, food right from your garden, no processed food of any sort. You're gonna accumulate some by bio- some some food residue, right? And and that sets up as you know either a fairly thin encrusted layer, or for some people a really thick encrusted layer. You know, the story goes. I don't. I've heard different reports, but the story goes for like John Wayne when he died <laughs> had a lot of impacted feces. He had 40 pounds <laughs> of impacted fecal matter. Mm take throughout his intestinal lining. Yeah. Right. So, so all of these supplements, the digestive enzymes particularly as it relates to digesting and releasing that stuff helps just open the channels. And so when you're opened up, it's and and this is why it's really helpful to do and I've done it without supervision with supervision with Mm -hmm. a plan not with a plan i've done it a lot of the wrong ways to do it (laughs) and and it which is good because i can speak from that standpoint it's really good to talk to somebody who knows what they're doing sure because if you do decide to go through a cleansing process and in a detoxification and, and your body's not ready for it or you're not doing all the things to support it you can really just move around deck chairs and piss off the gremlins and move the toxins from places where your body has strategically stored them so that they won't interfere with like vital organs when you start detoxifying if you're not opening the channels of detoxification to get that stuff out then the body now is releasing those stores and then it goes to the brain and the heart and the kidneys and 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 it really starts to override the system yeah and then you can really set yourself up for some long-term challenges i, I, I did that with heavy metals for instance some kind of chelation yeah that just
0: it, moved it out of muscles right. and exactly and yeah you mentioned that so i think that's a it's an interesting thing and i never really even thought of it that way i mean i think a lot of us think of oh detox is detox i can do that yeah well easy yeah you know bring really, it on yeah exactly i'm up for the challenge <laughs> yeah, i'm in <laughs> totally that Sign was me. i'm in um, but, yeah, I mean, it, you know, a lot of the eliminative process that we've been doing, we did um, some colonics, which is one, to flush out the digestive system. But in that, between that, 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 that... Was that your first one? No, I did some uh, in Austin. The uh, first, okay. the very first colonic I did was a fairly religious experience. <laughs> you move some old stuff. All you right. come out of there, like, wide-eyed. Like, you whoa. Know, yeah, I mean, it's like half... A little bit violated but mostly open <laughs> like it's it's crazy and it's really yeah. a positive a positive experience but this was um this was just kind of supporting this process yeah. this was the first time i had an attendant actually working on me though i had a different system where i just sit in a kind of uh-huh. chair you did it yourself it, yeah 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 which is weird, too. Oh, <laughs> Whatever right. are, which is weird, too. <laughs> uh, but then also, in between now, we're taking oxygenated magnesium, yeah. which is helping to kind of...
1: Oxymag helps to flush, flush out, out the out bowels. The, yeah. So anytime you're doing a detox, nine times out of ten, if you feel shitty, you should just do another bowel irrigation. Mm-hmm. And that's either an enema or a colonic or kind of a hybrid between the two. is called a, a colima. Mm-hmm. Um, or take a lot of oxymag. Because you just want to be moving the bowels through. The bowels are your best organ, your biggest organ of elimination. And if you're moving the bowels, then you're flushing the liver. Mm-hmm. Because the bowels and the liver are connected through this portal vein circulation. So when you're flushing the bowels, the liver has an opportunity to dump. Yeah. So you've got the supplements that you were taking, the colonics that you were doing, uh, foot baths, yeah. saunas,
0: just and a lot. And we also did a, a parasite cleanse, which was pretty cool, which is where we were... Um, you know and you obviously know a little bit more but th- from my understanding i was holding on to electrical currents yeah. which were driving some of the parasites out of their comfortable spots totally. in my guts and in my flesh and into some of the more open spaces in my digestive cavity and then i ripped down a shot of uh, ozonated olive oil yeah and they that's just like the raid for the, <laughs> for these parasites is it's, that a pretty accurate a g- description great description totally yeah. So that in itself, after, after that, I had a, that was actually the hardest night, was that first night after I did that. Um, you hear about the detox, the die-off symptoms, but that night was really kind of the toughest, I think, for me. It was just, I felt the shittiest. Yeah. Uh, and that was right off at the start. Yeah. You know, day, day one, doing that.
1: Yeah, it, and it makes sense because, you know, parasites and microbes, they hold on to a fair bit of toxins just by themselves. Like parasites will hold on to heavy metals. And when you start to purge uh, parasites or virus residue, bacteria residue, um, amoeba residue, whatever it might be, they start to release what they've been holding on to. And then you get this die-off reaction. Mm-hmm. And if it's the first time you've ever done that, it can be a really like, whoa, kind of yeah. disorienting experience. Now your body does feel a little overloaded gratefully for you and this is by the way i've done a lot of different parasite protocols coach people through a lot of different parasite protocols this one that we're doing is the most efficient effective one i've seen by far uh to be able to rid your body of of the known parasites that we can test you for know exactly what you need uh, to take to minimize the die-off reaction have all of that done in six days is unheard of just about yeah, it's like an ex- it's
0: just a totally accelerated program. I mean, most parasite protocols are weeks. Yeah, you know, really Six weeks. weeks on or if or if you're doing it on like a pure fast, I mean, the parasites come out in, at three week mark, at the yeah. four week mark. You know, yeah. and it, that's a fucking long time to <laughs> devote is. to this. It's you an know, investment. You, you got to be really committed to do that. <laughs> what percentage of people you think have uh, some kind of unhealthy? Because we all have parasites, no matter how many times right. you zap yourself, you're still going to have them. But what do you think, what, what percentage of people do you think have an unhealthy burden of,
1: well, of parasites? Well, the, the point you're making, I think, is a really great one, which is, you know, for example, from a Chinese medicine standpoint, it's not so much the pathogens or the bacteria, the parasites, it's the terrain. Mm-hmm. So if your body can tolerate it, if your body can move that stuff through, if the, if the body can harmonize all of the living vital energies within it in a good way great most people are under that kind of umbrella that you're describing which is have a unhealthy degree of overburden in regards to the pathogenic overload and the pathogens are your classic virus bacteria um nanobacteria parasites and parasites can be anywhere in the body people typically think of parasites as being in the gut that's oftentimes where we pick them up mm-hmm. because eating food, like traveling in the jungles, sure. drinking water, eating foods you're not yeah. used to. I
0: stayed away from the guinea pig when I was
1: down there. I can't imagine that that's probably the not. optimal
0: food probably to probably eat not great.
1: from a parasitic standpoint. Right. Before I really knew what I, the heck I was doing, you ate some guinea pig? I had some street vendor food in Cambodia. Ooh. And I came back from Thailand with some raging parasites. <laughs> and that wasn't the best thing because I just didn't know any better, you know? We're I just, just like... had an
0: image of parasites in a gay club.
1: Just, <laughs> just giving it <laughs> hell, Just copywriting
0: right. at will. Just rolling their faces off. Loving it. Loving it. Yeah.
1: Thank you. <laughs> totally. I know. It's so funny. The things that we do just being silly yeah um and some of it's out of ignorance not out of malice just like the 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 general western medical paradigm i think and and this may be optimistic i think is mostly um practicing poor medicine out of ignorance not malice Mm -hmm. i don't think there are a whole lot of people that are really trying to do us harm yeah um i think there are forces that would like to try and control the masses but most docs are trying to do a good job and and Parasites is a really good example. We're not really taught about parasitology and how to treat parasites. We're, we're taught how to treat like big parasites, the ones you can see. Yeah. Um, tapeworms and that kind of stuff. But we're not really taught so much about how to treat all of the unseen parasites and the, the really small ones that can like, for example, hang out in your eyeball. Yikes. Or in your brain because they cross the blood-brain barrier, right? What do you do about those guys? Well, you try and find something that's going to drive them out of their hiding spot, which is why you hold on to that frequency generator. Uh-huh. It sets up a, a DC current, direct current frequency that those bugs don't like. It's like um, if you've ever seen, so I'm building my cabin, mm-hmm. and um, we were getting bats. And so um, we had to, while, while the windows are still off and they can hang out up and, up and roost. So we got this like sound generator, this real high frequency annoying. I mean, it's annoying for anything within about 100 yards. Especially something that moves by sonar. Right, right. So they, they stay away because that sound is so annoying. That's what the frequency does to parasites. It's so annoying to them that they go as far as they can to get away from it. And that is essentially in your gut. Yeah. Because your gut is actually considered outside your body. Like, if you bled into your gut, you won't retrieve that blood volume. You'll poop it right out.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Right? So, the gut lining is considered outside the body, so all the parasites go there, and then you take the ozonated olive oil, and just like you said, yeah. that's the raid. So, bam. Done. History. <laughs> and then you have to find out how to heal the detox, yeah, the die-off reaction, and those are the herbs that are specific to you, yeah, that you needed to clear whatever you were clearing.
0: Well, the, the effect has been quite remarkable you know you you imagine that for some people probably listening to us haven't missed more than two meals in a row and that's not uncommon um and you would imagine that you know oh man i miss a meal i get cranky i get pissed off i get tired you know all those things for missing that that all passes quickly you know especially when you're getting the right nutrients supported in part of this cleanse you know you get that the high nutrient shake in the morning and you don't really need that much, you know, to, to keep you going. And I've had great energy generally. You know, I've had that a couple nights or that first night really where I felt kind of like I was getting sick a little bit and just not great. But other than that, I've had great energy. I brought some kettlebells out here. I was able to do a couple workouts with those. And um, even on yesterday, which is our flush day, which is no smoothie in the morning, uh, I was able to charge around one of the mountains out there and hike around. Um, which actually is a, is a reasonable point to, uh, to talk about something that uh, before we forget it. So we were hiking, and uh, before, in a previous conversation I had with Dan, he was talking about uh, the grounding frequency of the Earth itself. And this is something that uh, Dave Asprey talked about on, uh, with, with Joe Rogan on his podcast as well, how he always brings his grounding mat with him wherever he goes and he learned that from a time that he did yoga in the park after traveling to london uh his feet were on the grass and he said his his jet lag improved dramatically his jet lag response improved dramatically from that um so so you were saying that there's actually some some evidence from cyclists using this So, so what is what is going on here what is this frequency from the earth what is this all about
1: yeah the 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 technology, originally called grounding technology, now called earthing technology, so if you're looking for it on the web, you can just do a Google search for earthing.com, um, came out by a guy named Clint Ober. And um, he recognized the beneficial frequencies through just doing a whole lot of different research. I don't, I think his background is as an engineer. Um, and he came across the, the powerful effect of connecting the body's electrical system bare skin to the bare earth and the reception of negative ions and the dissolution of inflammation, essentially. And so he didn't publicize it um, except to a few people to put out like some feelers of who wanted to be the beta tests. Mm -hmm. And one group um, that became... Lately, a fairly well-known beta test for this technology were the cyclists in the Tour de France. And um, it was a methodology that they could use that didn't have any side effects, that wouldn't show up on any tests as being illegal, and that significantly cut down their um, recovery time. And regardless of what they were in the midst of, like, you know, um, I was just at a... I just was at a conference with uh, Jeff Spencer, who's the old doc for the Tour de France throughout those all those years of, that Lance won. And uh, he I don't showed- know if that's
0: a good thing or a bad
1: thing. Yeah, I don't really know. I mean, Jeff's an amazing guy. He's, yeah, a, sure. he's a great guy, he's a super doc. I don't know his level of involvement you know, and, and all that kind of stuff, but I, I, I think a lot of him and his work. And, he, and at this conference, he was showing some pictures of one of the riders who went through the rear windshield of a car because you got you got pace cars behind the riders and in front of the riders and this car for whatever reason had to stop and this rider went straight through the back windshield and i didn't realize that the way the 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 tour is set up is every body has to cross the line yeah other way otherwise the whole team's disqualified So this guy, with an arterial laceration bleeding out of his bicep, around his bicep tendon, and uh, a pretty deep gash in his uh, forehead where his helmet split, kind of hobbles across the finish line, and... By the way, he's got to race the next day. And if he doesn't race the next day, the whole team's
0: disqualified. Oh, good thing he was a cyclist and not one of those European soccer players
1: (laughs) (laughs) rolling around on the ground. Right. Still, still to this day. Right, I know, it's so (laughs) funny, those guys. Yeah. Yeah, and so Jeff's hooked this guy up to one of those grounding... It wasn't... So the grounding mat itself
0: actually, you know, bare feet on the earth, you get the current from the earth itself. The grounding mat somehow mimics that. Yeah,
1: the way it does it is... um, so that guy, that 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 rider, gets hooked up to the grounding technology, and a whole lot of you know first aid and a whole lot of like real high quality nutrition. Rides the next day, and um, and has that hunger back, you mm-hmm. know, and it, because he woke up feeling good. You could tell when he was going to sleep. I was is this picture when he was going to sleep that night. He was like pretty worried. He didn't yeah. think he was going to get back on. Yeah. And um, and then so those are just like some examples of the power. Of that rejuvenative practice of grounding, and everybody has access to it. It's, it's, it just makes sense. Yeah. We're bioenergetic beings. We're we're from the earth. It makes sense for our bare skin to be on the earth. And most people don't do that. They get out of bed. They put their house shoes on. They live in concrete foundation houses. Uh, driving uh, cars with you know rubber tires and wearing rubber sold shoes and they go to bed like that yeah and there's i mean there's
0: so many people i'm sure and i'm sure i've even gone stretches you know where i haven't been at the beach obviously at the beach everybody's on you know on the sand but you know other than that you know i'm not a big i've never really loved grass i get a little itchy from it so i'm not like a roll around in the grass type of guy either so i'm sure there's been huge stretches of my life where i haven't actually put my skin anywhere on the earth yeah you know, period. And
1: then and you, and you have guys like Fronty, who never wear shoes. Yeah. I mean, yeah. in like a New York winter, yeah. won't wear shoes. I mean, and that, so, that song he has, you know, walk a mile in my shoes. It's like, he ain't got no shoes, man. <laughs> Do it that way for a while. See how it feels. Yeah. And actually during the summertime, pr- pretty much except in the, in the dead of winter, I'm usually barefoot because it just feels really good mm-hmm. to be that connected. Yeah.
0: So, th- so where I got on this is in that hike. Uh, I tried to do as much of that hike as I could. It's, it's mostly rocks, so it's pretty easy. So yeah. it's nice climbing on the rocks with bare feet. And uh, so let it
1: me give you feels just, nice. Let me give you just a little bit of the science to, to, yeah, to, yeah. to give it some validation. Um, because it, it, it makes sense. But the cool thing I like about Ober is he sat on the data for 10 years until all the tests were done. And he could prove in the lab the benefits that he was seeing in his clients. And then when all the labs came out and the data came out and then he marketed it, the allopathic community couldn't say, oh, that's bullshit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He could say, well, actually- Oh, go hug a tree, hippie. (laughs) (laughs) Right, Right, right. And he could say, well, here's the data. Yeah. And so what you see is you see all the inflammatory markers drop and normalize. Cortisol levels normalize. Hormone levels optimize, like DHE levels will optimize, the master hormone in the body. The zeta potential in the red blood cells uh, will minimize uh, to the extent that it's optimized so that all the red blood cells now look like those healthy, fluffy donuts yeah. versus all those stuck-together, gnarled-up, kind of like mangy Reese's peanut butter cups. <laughs> you know? And so, so then the blood has more oxygen-carrying capacity. It's, it's more alive. And this is only after 45 minutes of being grounded. Just think of what happens when you're bare skin on that sheet all night. And the way it reproduces that effect, is really brilliant, brilliant technology. I mean, the guy should win a Nobel Prize for it. It, it uses the electrical system in all modern buildings which has a grounding prong, right? Mm-hmm. The three-prong outlets, that, that middle lower prong is the grounding outlet. So you hook up, This adapter that feeds, oh, you hook up that into the outlet, and that feeds a wire that snaps into the sheet. Mm -hmm. And the sheet is laced with silver thread. And you put your bare skin on that. So it's essentially impregnating the earth's grounding field through that wire into the sheet. Brilliant. Brilliant. (laughs) Brilliant. I mean, it just makes sense. And to
0: use something that we're already doing, which is our three-pronged appliance, which we think of, you know, charges our computer, you know, but to also have that, uh, you know, just to, to think of how that could work you know and not just say hey everybody walk outside because if i discovered that data i'd probably yo everybody fucking you know <laughs> go swimming or in the creek or you know go hang out outside but to be able to bring that into an urban environment yeah right. like
1: new york city yeah totally where the whole thing's a big concrete grid yeah like where do you find grass i mean central park is great but not you can't everybody's go there every doing day. right yeah. so how do you make it usable available so this guy, you have you have these sheet sets you sleep on at night. You've got these little things that you can rest your hand on by the computer. Nice. So all the EMF frequency that you're getting bombarded with, I want to probably put it underneath your feet at the desk too. At the desk too. They they, they got these
0: little pads. Brilliant. brilliant. It's brilliant. Coming soon from Onit Lab, somewhere or another. Totally. We're gonna we're gonna fucking make that happen. Yeah. That's that's a definite. We got it. That's an we easy well, Dan, there's so much to talk about. We got about another 10 minutes here before we're going to wrap this up. Um, so I want to touch on a few of the other things. So just to finish off the physical part, we're in the last day today. Um, last night, we drank a bunch of olive oil as the final thing. Um, and, and that was triggering the gallbladder to release the bile, which is what
1: digests the, the fat. Is that is an that accurate? Yeah, it's a, it's a good description. Uh, it's a nice summary statement. You know, and... And there's a, it's a funny kind of thing because re- recently I was just trying to, 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 to find out, like, if there had ever been any studies of the benefits of liver gallbladder flushes. Mm-hmm. And I went on a, um, a PubMed search, which is the lo- largest online data system of the studies that have been done in, in, across the world. Um, and there weren't any well, there was, well I, I take it back there was one but it was an abstract that i couldn't access because it was in a different language yeah and so allopathic medicine really doesn't appreciate the benefit of doing liver gallbladder flushes and some part of that is because well we got to this point without doing liver gallbladder flushes why do we have to do them now i mean like we didn't do them Well, some of of us, you had a
0: pretty funny story, which would be worth telling in a few moments about how uh, the ayahuasca (laughs) forced you to do that. What what happened for you? Because this is similar to what's happening to all of us here at the Grove, except just in a different way.
1: So oftentimes when you go through a liver gallbladder flush is you release a lot of these, what are called stones, gallstones. And the gallstones can be either uh, really hard calcified stones. And those are the ones that people have a hard time with, especially passing. That's very uncommon. And even if you had calcified gallstones going through this process, it's still doable and safe mm-hmm. because the gallstones soften with this phosphoric acid and the bile duct opens with this Epsom salt. So it's the perfect delivery system. We just had a, a, a gal who was about to, she called me from her, I was coming back from uh, the tree actually. She called me on my cell phone from her hospital bed. She said, I want to take my gallbladder out right now. Can you help me? And I was like, wow. Um, yes. Please don't get your gallbladder taken out. <laughs> you won't be able to put it back. Yeah. And they don't really appreciate the long-term ramifications. And yes, they can take your gallstones out along with your gallbladder. And they're going to think that's okay. And they're not going to tell you like all the long-term ramifications, which is, oh, by the way, now you can't digest your fats for the rest of your life. Whoops. Sorry. <laughs> right. So... D- depending on the type of gallstones the allopathic community say well that's unsafe to put somebody through a flush it's not unsafe you just have to do it the right way with the right supplements in mm-hmm. the right kind of sequence so some gallstones are calcified that's uncommon most of them are cholesterol kind of fatty in nature mm-hmm. and they they set up these big kind of fatty hard but like hard fat like um like rubber from a tire, mm-hmm. that kind of hard fat. Um, they set up these big globules in the gallbladder, and the gallbladder gets all congested and it can't do its job. And then you get somebody, after a big fatty meal, has this gallbladder attack. They think they're having a heart attack, but it's their gallbladder trying to push out this little bitty <laughs> morsel of bile to try and digest that fat. But it's trying to squeeze through all this other crap. So in another, it's either bile... gall stones or bile sludge it's kind of the same thing, it's just a big mess it's like a tar pit in there so you take these supplements and it pushes all that out flushes all that out well and then sometimes when you have that experience of expelling all these stones, it feels like a, a machine gun is getting shot out of your ass, because <laughs> you're 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 pooping like a machine gun, all these like what would be like peas. <laughs> it's like split pea soup coming out your butt. And the first time I had ever had that experience, I didn't even know what a gallbladder flush was. It was the first time I did my ayahuasca uh-huh. experience. It was. It was the most amazing experience, spiritually and physically, because I had this experience while I'm high as a kite, not knowing what was happening, had this experience of a machine gun being shot out of my ass. (laughs) And it was kind of alarming and kind of like your first colonic experience, very liberating because I felt so good afterwards. Yeah. And it wasn't only until years later I I realized those were gallstones. And some of what the purgative medicines do, like these medicines, like ayahuasca and some of the others is they cause the body to flush its toxins whether you purge from above or you purge from below and i'd say the first tw- i've maybe done a hundred ceremonies or so maybe the first 40 ceremonies i did i never purged from above mm-hmm. I only purge from below. So I'm basically doing a lot of bowel cleansing, a lot of gallbladder flushes. It's very cleansing. And like you said, it can be depleting. So I don't recommend people really do it that frequently. Um, So I'm just saying like, I've I've had some experience with it, but I'm not saying that's the best approach to go. What I am saying is they are powerful medicines in how much they will cleanse body, mind, spirit, heart, and soul. And so you're on the last day. <laughs> yeah. And
0: yeah, I get to experience a little bit of that. I'm waiting. I have one more colonic coming up. That's my reward for finishing oh, this podcast nice. is to is to go get one more, uh, one more little. Reaming of the intestinal. Flush, yeah, yeah. Flush, that's when yeah. you really see a lot of them. I bet. So, but already I've seen you see these little things kind of floating in the toilet, and yeah. uh, it's like, what the
1: hell is that? Go, yeah.
0: Good Good riddance.
1: Those are your good cholesterol riddance. stones because the yeah. cholesterol, the fat will float. The calcium stones, and that's what some people like when you do research on liver gallbladder flushes, and some people say, oh, that's a bunch of crab. I mean, not literally. <laughs> they don't mean it literally. They think it's a bunch of BS. They don't. They don't believe in it because mm-hmm. stones are supposed to sink. Yes, that's if they're calcified stones. But that's not most of what most people, of people have. Most people just
0: have a little bit of extra cholesterol. Yeah. Well, the result is, you know, on the physical side, I feel awesome. Um, you know, we're gonna have to not even get into the depths of the kind of uh, Yeah, we didn't even rituals. talk about your ceremony and all those those Uh Dan is... All the treatments. Uh, beyond being a doctor and, and everything that he's described, he also led a, a surprisingly powerful cacao ceremony. And if you don't know, chocolate just isn't delicious. Um, there's a you know, medicinal tradition, uh, spiritual tradition around using cacao as a sacrament, as a sort of entheogen. Um, and so we were able to do that. It was a, a very specific cacao, rich in uh, what were the what were the constituents that they're really targeting for mm-hmm. entheogenic, uh, ritualistic cacao.
1: Yeah, the anandamides, anandamides. uh theobromine, mm-hmm. and phenylethylalanine (PEA). Mm-hmm. And these are some of the neurotransmitter and hormonal affecting qualities that come out in the cacao that have people experience that really strong heart opening and an altered state of consciousness too. Not that's like some of the anti engines we've been talking about, but that is more, um, in a subtle way, expanding the consciousness while the heart's really expanding itself. So we get to, especially as really strong men, it, it really helps to have those times when we're, heart, when our heart is open. Sure. So that we know how to use this power in a good way. Yeah. yeah, That's the harmonizing effect of, of, of being right now on the planet. There's there's been this masculine dominant culture on the planet and now it's being balanced with this feminine like renaissance and that includes um the feminine side of all of ourselves and to be able to say yeah i, I have this feminine side of myself that i'm thankfully getting to know better yep yeah, yeah. And makes sense so for me and you know I, I can talk
0: about this more and i'll probably write some blogs about the individual effects of it but it was it was pretty interesting. It's subtle. It's not like an ayahuasca experience, you know. Mm-hmm. It's not going to be overpowering. You're not gonna, uh, but just the way that my perception and feeling about energy in my own body and almost visual perception of it—really, that kind of third eye pineal mm-hmm. activation—I could feel in a in a very kind of warm sense in uh, in my heart, in that kind of emotional center of my being. Um, really, quite quite enjoyable and quite uh Mm. quite subtly powerful to do it and uh so you know there's medicines and many things that are around us that we that we fail to to give credit for but that was uh certainly a powerful one and then on uh on the other side which i'll certainly have to break out at least into its own podcast or blog was my shamanic breathing ceremony which i did which was Wow. wow yeah you know really intense um you know, so so really, at that point, you're hyper-oxygenating your blood, which is somehow altering your cognitive
1: filter a little bit. Is that what's going on? It definitely from does that Huxleyan kind of paradigm. Yeah. And, and this, this 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 work is based a large. You, there's a lot of research around it too, from Stanislav Grof and the holotropic breathwork movement that came out around the same time that LSD did, and they were kind of parallel a psychedelic experience is one that you took a substance for and one you could access consciously just through breathing and really dynamic breathing. And so when you're in this hyper oxygenated state, oxygen is essentially life force energy. And so these stuck, from a shamanic standpoint, Mm -hmm. these stuck parts of of our energy body, of our psyche, get flooded with this prana, this high life force energy, that starts just busting down these doors that we've shut. Mm -hmm. And in order to access that, you really need to push the breath. And in pushing the breath for me, the first 15 minutes,
0: I was in full paralysis. I mean, I was curled up, my hands were wretched, my mouth was stuck. I couldn't even say anything. There was people around me that were yelling and doing, I was like, like, what is going on? I can't even move my mouth. You know, we were like,
1: and then after that. Tetany.
0: Yeah, full full tetany, just just couldn't even budge and my legs were (laughs) locked up and i was like this is gonna be hell
1: (laughs) i got another hour this is really gonna be hell (laughs) Uh,
0: but then then really something clicked you know a few triggers from the shaman holding the space there um and uh, i was really put into a really clear lucid visionary state that was really that was similar to your ayahuasca trip very similar very similar less distraction actually from visions and colors and the chrysanthemum and you know more just straight to the point like Mm. it it was different in that you know usually you kind of have to filter through the stuff the part of your journey that is cool but it's not really yeah. that memorable. Yeah, Yeah, exactly, right. IATV. And, uh, but this was just you know straight exactly what I needed right. to see. And that so was. you
1: had this psychedelic experience, this conscious opening experience, while still being consciously engaged. Mm-hmm. Not taking anything outside of your own ability to hyperoxygenate, not requiring any outside influence to be able to access those states. Yep. And it's really powerful to be able to recognize that we have so many different modalities and tools and much of which is at our immediate disposal we don't necessarily have to go down to the jungle you know a few thousand miles away um or you know or look you know i
0: mean obviously i'm a proponent of the the psychedelic medicine and i always recommend doing it with a shaman or a sitter in the set and setting that's proper but a lot of us the fact of the matter is it's illegal you know and that's a risk that we have to be you know either willing to take and I, i can't conscientiously recommend people to do illegal things just because of the risk what if i recommend it and you get busted or you know something you know you're in the wrong set and setting you know it's a lot of risk but this is something that you know still you want the right you want a sitter you want a setting you want a guide through because you are going to some kind of really opening states and it's nice to have that with the right music and not having to fuss about anything and someone to tell you when the oxygen is what is happening when the oxygen freezes up your, your body like that? Why is, why
1: is that well, happening? I think there are a couple of things that happen physiologically. Through that um, hyper-oxygenated state, you have different chemical reactions. And um, I, I suspect on a cellular level, you're alternating the sodium-magnesium pump channel, the sodium-chloride channel pump. Um, you're probably getting the, the, the muscles into some stuck position, Mm-hmm. Through friction across um, short and long acting fibers, I, I don't really know physiologically if studies have been done in hyperoxygenated states to know why that happens. Mm-hmm. Classically, tetany is when you have tetanus mm-hmm. uh, when you're infected by the the the, the pathogen that causes um, tetanus to happen, and that's from an acetylcholine. Um, let, me, let me make sure I remember my microbiology. This is going all the way back to school. Go now. deep. <laughs> um, when the acetylcholine receptors are paralyzed uh-huh. and the postsynaptic junction paralyzes so that you can't depolarize the muscular membrane and it totally freezes up yeah. until you give it the antidote. So that's not what's happening here. What's happening here is that you're getting- It just
0: feels like it.
1: (laughs) it, Well, it's it's classically what happens because you are frozen up, your muscles are frozen up. Yeah. But, and every time that happens, eventually, even if you keep breathing, you come through it. Yeah, and I certainly did. So you're just pushing through a door. Yeah. You're, You're pushing through some kind of physiologic, as well as spiritually stuck place that you weren't able to previously access. And when you push through that door, the body does relax totally and when you have somebody who can be you can ride you in a good way like the shaman's riding like keep breathing keep yeah, going yeah, yeah. keep pushing when you have somebody who can ride you can stay with it if you're doing that by yourself and your body's freezing up and you're like shit i'm gonna get paralyzed <laughs> you may not want to stay with it yeah, right because totally. you don't know what's gonna happen Totally. so kudos to you for staying with it and right. then seeing what happens on the other side yeah right it's kind of like a runner's high all of a sudden, you break through this barrier. Now you're just like floating. Yeah. Like holy crap, what just happened? You access another portal. Yeah, it's, it's it phenomenal was, what we can do. It was powerful
0: medicine. You yeah. Know, no doubt. Really, one of the top most profound experiences. If my maybe top three. I haven't really classified them like that. But definitely top five. You know, I think the you know ayahuasca number one, uh, iboga, the only time I did it, and this. Each had will have lasting profound impacts that are pretty significant so a lot of ways to find the medicine for the soul and the spirit and the body um so i think dan i think we're going to finish up here and uh, and as as always now this uh this podcast is sponsored by onitlabs O n n i t dot com. Dan, one of the formulas you were mentioning that you like, just taking a cursory glance, was the uh, the Shroom Tech Sport formula. Totally. Um, and lot, your Alpha Brain. Both of those. Right on. Right on. Yeah, we uh, we always uh, we we love those as well. Um, you know, those are some of our biggest sellers and some of the most impactful. Mm. Uh, supplements, But you were mentioning something about the shroom tech sport that often gets overlooked. And that was some of the adaptogens we had in there, the, totally. the rhodiola and the Siberian yeah. ginseng. And uh, you're a big proponent
1: of those, right? Yeah, the adaptogens, you know, we're just getting more and more scientifically validated research to show how beneficial those are, how amazing those are. You know, we, we've had case studies, at least from our literature in the West. We've had case studies that they were really powerful. Like, um, I think it was in, the, it was in 1980. That um, the Russian gymnasts were just like dismantling everybody mm-hmm. and coming up clean on their steroid tests yep. and all of that kind of stuff. And what they were, it, what it came out that they were taking is rhodiola. It's just like the High Chinese, level. just like the Chinese runners were taking the, the cordyceps when they, right. when they exactly. made that big right. Search. So you got something with both. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right? So the adaptogens they help our bodies adapt to stress. They give us the ability to recover quicker, to take more on to have that sense of like resilience, that, that warrior ship that sees a challenge and says, okay, I can meet that challenge. Not necessarily a cocky attitude, like bring it on, but like, no, I have the inner fortitude, the calm, discerning, clarity of action to be able to take whatever's life's gonna give me. It's that like, it's that it's that confidence that you can just tell in someone when they walk in the door and don't have to say anything. <laughs>
0: yeah. yeah, we like that, <laughs> we like that. Well, Dan, this has been a real pleasure. Warrior, poet, doctor, shaman, and if you didn't rid the bats out of your hut, you could definitely walk out and say, "I am Batman." I would, <laughs> I would give you, I would give you that credit. It's been a real pleasure, Dan. We're going to have to do this again. Awesome. Look forward to it. All right. Yeah. Take care, everybody. Yeah.